0: The Bible today. Let's open up to First Corinthians chapter seven. Hey Darren, Darren, can you close this? First Corinthians chapter seven. I am so blessed, so blessed that we study the Bible together, you guys. I mean, uh, this is the truth in the land of lies. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts and pierces to the joints and marrows. It, it's a mirror. It's the sword of the Spirit. I mean, I am so blessed that we get to study the Bible together. And today we get to enter into this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a chapter that uh, pertains to all of us but it deals specifically with married couples and then also with those who are single. So how many of you here are single? Just out of curiosity, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. (laughs) And then how many are married, if you would raise your hand? Okay, cool, so I just wanna kinda get the blood flowing. Uh, How many of you are single and you want to be married? I'm just curious, raise your hand. And then, how many are married and want to be single? (laughs) I'm just curious. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) But you know, that's just the flesh. That's just the flesh. The Bible says that God hates divorce. And so we'll talk about stuff like this. I I always, if you're single, You know, there's not a lot of passages that would be, you know, directly, specifically geared towards you, but Chapter 7 is for you, and so I pray that you'd know it, you'd embrace it, and then there's going to be a lot of things for us as married as well. And so we're going to take our time going through this chapter. Uh, Today we're going to cover the first nine verses, and we're going to see, first of all, that to Paul, singleness is preferential. To Paul, man, he he was just like, man, stay single. That was his advice. And then to God, which is, of course, more important, marriage is wonderful. And I kind of have a play on words. Um, The word one is in there. And at the same time, it is just beautiful. It's wonderful, you know, when it's done in Christ. And so that's why you need the Bible to show you how to do marriage right. And so let's dig into this, Paul dealing with specific questions that the Corinthians had written and they asked him about. Apparently the first had to do with the whole concept of marriage and celibacy. And so we read in chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, verse 1, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And so for Paul, singleness is preferential, not to touch a woman. it simply meant to stay single, uh, to be a, a bachelor till the rapture. That's what they used to say it when I was first saved. You know, don't get married. That would be his advice, right? And so I know for a lot of you here, single people, you hear that and you panic, right? You're like, no, absolutely <laughs> But but you know what we're gonna see before you panic and think that celibacy equates uh, to godliness. Don't worry because at the end of the day we're gonna see in our text that Paul is forced to give marriage a green light simply because God does, and we're gonna see the the beauty of marriage. Okay, but in the meantime, here it is. In the meantime, if you're single, and for some it is gonna be a lifetime, but in the meantime you need to know that being single has its benefits you need to know that it's just a really cool thing as a matter of fact i wanted to jump over to verse 32 1 corinthians 7 and verse 32 and we'll see other things but but here's something specifically he says in verse 32 i want you to be without care he who is unmarried cares for the things of the lord how he may please the lord But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And so uh, for Paul, being single was preferential. And he wants Christians at the end of the day to be without care or concern to the point that you can focus completely on living your life for Jesus Christ that that when you're single you know it's it's a different world there's not so many strings that are attached and you're free you know to just have no other care no other concern Think about that, you know? I mean, I know for some of you here single, you're struggling, you're just dying inside, you're you're obsessed with, with being married, and you feel like you're, you know, whatever, the clock's running out, things like that. No, when you seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then in God's perfect timing, He will bring you the perfect person. They'll be ready. You'll be ready. And so for Paul, he's saying... Uh, you know for some it's just a time for some it's going to be a lifetime but man being single it has its benefits because you're just living for Jesus and that's an awesome thing just him and him alone right i mean let me ask you guys a question you guys that are are, are husbands you guys that are married i mean if you want to go on a missions trip uh or to serve in ministry or if you as a guy wanna even go to a bible study right you, you, got, you can't just get up and go, right? You have to ask your wife. Sweetheart, is it okay? You, you know, you got the kids, anything going on? Okay, cool. You know, to, to, for our husband to go on a missions trip, I mean, a lot of times that's just not doable be, because he's married. You see, there is a difference, right? When you're married and, and there should be in one sense. Maybe you're here and you're a guy and you're like, well, I don't ask for permission, I just do it. Well, that's wrong. You know, Ephesians five, it says, being submissive to one another. So there's a mutual submission. There's that aspect of of permission that goes both ways. And so uh, when you're uh, you got a schedule that could potentially take you as husband and wife in different directions, you know, when you're a man, you have to you know have that conversation. You have to ask your wife. You can't just get up and go. It's a different life when you're a single guy, and then when you're a single gal as well look at verse 34 first corinthians 7 there is a difference between a wife and a virgin the unmarried woman cares about the things of the lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit but she who is married cares about the things of the world how she may please her husband and paul says this i say for your own profit not that i may put a leash on you but for what is proper and that you may serve the lord without distraction what an awesome time season of your life what do you do with your singleness is it is it time just to have fun nothing wrong with having fun we live in in a world that really just promotes having fun and it's all about pleasure but but paul here tells tells us that when you're single you can serve the lord without distraction and it's a really important thing for you single people to know you know like let me ask you ladies a question that are married i can ask you something ladies who are married uh, a question about ministry pertains to you or maybe even money for example if you want to go spend money at the mall do you have to ask your husbands of course right maybe you're a wife here and say no i just i just do it (laughs) You're probably going to get in trouble for that. There's a lot of divorces that happen because of money, right? But even as a wife, if you had it in your heart one day that I want to give more to God, that I'm going to go beyond the 10%, that I'm going to give an offering to God, I'm going to give to that ministry, you have to ask your husband. But when you're single, it's not like that, right? I mean, when you're single, there's a difference between being married and single. It's no longer just the God-man. It's the worldly man. It's your man. And he has his good days and he has his bad days. Let me tell you, marriage is not easy. Later on, we're going to see in this chapter, Paul promises married people that they will have trouble in the flesh. So, you know, it's funny. Like I said earlier, single people want to be married. Married people want to be single. The grass is always greener on the other side. That's why you just have to trust the Lord. And we're going to cover this more when we arrive here and dive into this section. But, you know, in verse 35, Paul says something important. The fact that, that all this is for their profit. It's Not that he's trying to hinder them. It's not to place restrictions or random limitations on them. It's not to control them or put a leash on them. No, this is for your benefit. Don't rush into it. Paul is saying it's it's actually good to be single. And so um, in, in verses 2 through 5, Paul gives the green light to marriage, and we're going to come back to that. But just kind of honing in on that whole concept, look at, at verse 7, what Paul says. He says, for I, for I wish, talking about singleness, that all men were even as my, my, I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I, I say to the unmarried and, and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And so again, for Paul, singleness is preferential. I think Paul, is, uh, he loves Jesus so much. He's probably a little over the top on this right he himself had come to a place in his life where he had the gift of singleness we don't know for sure but probably paul was married at one time because he was a member of the sanhedrin he was able to cast his vote uh, for certain individuals to die so it's kind of like being a member of the supreme court for the jews and in order to have that position he had to be married but more than likely what happened is after he was married his wife just said, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus thing. I'm a Jew. I mean, she's probably a passionate Jew. And so she said no. And so more than likely, Paul's wife left him. And then he, from that point on, when he got saved, he got single. He got the gift of singleness. And he said, man, I've compared the two. And there's nothing like serving the Lord. And that's what he's saying right here. Maybe a little over the top, huh? Because what would happen if all men were as him? What would happen if all men remained single? The human race would cease to exist, right? (laughs) And so obviously uh, there is uh, limits on this. He has his preference. He's very opinionated. But eventually he has to admit that singleness is a gift and some have it and some don't we see that again there if you would look at verse seven for i wish that all men were even as i myself but each one each one has his own gift from god one in this manner and another in that and so the you know everybody has a gift everyone has a gift first peter 4 verse 10 also says we all have gifts And so we need to minister it to one another. That's what makes a church thrive. That's what makes a church powerful. That's what makes a church healthy, is when every individual here realizes that I have a place in the body of Christ. I have a responsibility. I have a gift that I need to exercise. And I always tell you guys, discover your gift, develop it, and deploy it. Don't bury it. Don't be lazy. Don't just kick back Cracker Jack. Don't do that kind of stuff, right? You find out what your gift is and then you, you 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 exercise that gift. And so for some, they have actually have the gift of singleness. That's what Paul is talking about right here. He's talking about that whole thing, right? How do you know if you have the, the gift of singleness? Well, you'll have less of a fire, less of a desire to get married. That, that's kind of how you begin to discover that. And there are some who, they have that gift, they're just married to the Lord, your husband is your maker, your companion is your creator, right? And, and later in this chapter, we're going to see more benefits of that. But if you're here and you're like, no way, Manny, I want to get married, you have a strong desire inside, you know, you're one of those guys, I like, like, I like the way Ryan says it, are uh, single and ready to mingle. That's how a lot of times they are, Right. You know you're seeking the lord and you're just saying okay lord i'm open then that means that you don't have the gift you have this healthy god-given sexual drive and that's okay it's completely okay it's holy as a matter of fact we're going to see later for you to get to get married but you must wait on the lord or you will make one of the biggest mistakes of your life you can't hurry love. You know, uh, the Song of Solomon, it talks about that, man. Wait until it's ripe and ready. You have to wait on the Lord, you know. And so uh, God has this person. He has, I believe, maybe it's the romantic side of me, but I believe there is someone custom-made for you. They've gone through whatever they've gone through. They have their struggles. They have their strengths. And when you two come together... It's going to be this amazing work that God does. You two will serve the Lord together like Aquila and Priscilla. That's what happens when you wait on the Lord. That's amazing, right? You know, and so what we find is that uh, Moses gave us the principle in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so, you know, uh, the day came. I mean, there was a time when it was good. When God first made Adam, everything was good. I'm sure it was a good season. But eventually, the time came where he said, okay, enough. Now you know, Adam's experiencing loneliness. I mean, he's, he's established his relationship with God, and that's the primary relationship, but now the loneliness is setting in. Now he's looking around, and he's saying, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Bear, Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, Mr. and Mrs., you know, and they're looking at all the animals, and He said, what about me? And, uh, you know, sometimes we get we reach that point where we're seeking the Lord, but we're lonely. You know, I talk to my dad all the time. You know, my dad he's not married and i try to hook him up and so far it hasn't worked you know but um you know and then you know the lord says okay now it's time right and for adam just think how beautiful that first marriage must have been adam and eve that's what god wants to do in your life adam and eve it's so cool but but you gotta you know know where you stand in all this Uh, do you have the gift there is a gift of singleness Jesus actually talked about it in Matthew 19. If you would, turn to Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, Jesus was questioned about marriage. And you know, they were saying, well, you can, uh, Lord, is it okay for a man to get a divorce? And there were different schools of thought. Some rabbis actually taught that, yeah, you can get a divorce, No, no problem. If she burns your food, if she dances and spins around, if she talks too loud, um, you can divorce her. There was actually that school of thought. Like today, in one sense, there are some people who are like, hey, we just fell out of love. We're irreconcilable differences. And you know, they just take it so lightly. And then there was also the school of thought that was more conservative and said, no, you can't, except for adultery and abandonment. And that's what Jesus said. No, you can't just leave your wife or, or your husband. You can't. It's for life. Go through the hard times together and watch how your love deepens during those hard times. Watch how you'll find out what true love is. True love is not like, well, we're good if they treat me good. No, true love is unconditional. No matter what they do, I will love them. That's the love of God. And when you go through the hard times with that love, and he pours it into your heart, and you pour it into them, you're, you're going to come out of that with, with character and love. And it's amazing what God does when we just begin to love unconditionally. We don't give up on our marriage. And so when the apostles heard what Jesus said, they said, Oh, then it's better not to marry. That's what they said, it's better not to marry. In verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But, but he, Jesus said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. There it is, there's the gift. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. And so they were saying, hey, it's better than to stay single. And Jesus said, well, that's not for everybody. And he he brings up three categories. Number one, those who are just born like with a, a gift or an inclination. Maybe born again when you became a Christian type of thing. But somewhere along the line, you're like, hey, I'm good just being single. Uh, and, and you've been given that gift. They're, they're, that's that type of eunuch. There's another eunuch who were forced into being eunuchs. Uh, and then, you know, like in the book of Daniel, you have eunuchs there watched over the harems. And they were forced into it. Even today, uh, some denominations, some churches, they force their you know, priests or whatever to be eunuchs. They're, they're made eunuchs by men. There are those out there. That's not right. But then there are those, it says right here, who have chosen to become eunuchs for the kingdom of God. And what that is is what Jesus is talking about, what what, what Paul is talking about, where they've discovered, you know what, I can do this. I can be single for the Lord. I can serve him. And it's where God's leading me. And, and they don't just stay single so they can just have a good time. Because some people, they stay single so they can mess around with different people and live their own life and not be tied down and that kind of stuff. No, they stay single because they are focused on serving the Lord. And that's why I, I just encourage you single people. And I know it. It can be hard. I understand that. I've taught to many, many single people. My heart goes out to you. But I just know his word is true. And he will satisfy you. He will keep you. He will bless you. I encourage you to focus your life on serving the Lord. And so, um, Paul, back in 1 Corinthians 7, singleness is preferential. But um, to God... You know, marriage is not just okay, marriage is wonderful. Look what we read in First Corinthians chapter 7, beginning now in, in verse 2, where Paul says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, that each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the, infect, the affection due her, And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But i say this is a concession not as a commandment paul says for i wish that all men were even as i myself so paul says if you have that healthy god-given you know sex drive that's okay that's then then it's okay for you to go ahead and get married and that's what we 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 read here but the moment you get married you have to understand you know elements about that this whole chapter we're going to talk about different things but the first thing we see right here is the marriage affection in verse 2. that The, the first thing we see is kind of interesting, what Warren Wiersbe says. Uh, again, he says, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 makes it clear that God does not approve either of polygamy or homosexual marriages. One man married to one woman has been God's pattern from the very beginning. Isn't that what we read there in verse 2? He says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. In verse 3, he says, Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. So what does it mean when you get married? Well, you got to get your your marriage marching orders from the Bible, right? Not just what the world says, not just what you say. And one of the things we see here is at the moment we're married, we enter into debt. Right, guys? That's kind of how it works out. (laughs) No, um, right here, we're indebted. It says to give our spouse the affection that's due to them. And the Bible says this goes in both directions to the guys and the gals. The Greek word here translated render, it simply means to pay what is due. And so the the text, you know, at its heart, it highlights sexual intimacy, but affection, you guys know this, is not simply that act. It's more than that, right? Affection is um, probably even heart to heart communication. It's paying attention, it's touch, uh, it's uh, massages or hugs or Holding hands, you know, slow dancing, kissing—I mean, it's a, a physical showing of fondness or tenderness, right? Most guys—they just pretty much are, are basically more interested in the act. Not all guys; some guys are, are, are better than that. But um, the girls—they usually want uh, affection, right? My wife she'll sit down in front of me and she'll, okay, pet my hair, and so I pet her hair. <laughs> After about 45 minutes, I'm like, all oh, the tangles are out, babe, and my arm is tired, <laughs> You know, and you guys, it's okay, massages, um, things like that. Um, we read the patriarchs practicing this in Genesis chapter 26 and verse eight. It's the Bible says, but sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Guys, I encourage you, and then you guys you talk to each other when you're married. You find out you know, different love languages or things like that. But it's crazy how some guys, they, they don't do that anymore. Um, they won't hold hands. They won't put their arm around their wife. I remember one time we did a marriage, uh, uh, Valentine's thing at the Italian restaurant over there. And I remember after, uh, when I came up and prayed, and they said, okay, guys, before we start the study, I want you to give your wife a kiss. I mean, just you don't have to make out, just a kiss. But some guys wouldn't even do that. And sometimes you drift apart. No, you, they, they need it. And, and you know, you, you, you owe it to each other. The moment you get married, you're indebted to these things the affection that's due render it pay up do that to to one another because what we're seeing here and you know what i see here when i when i begin to read these types of things as a pastor is that god is trying to protect marriages god is trying to protect families god is trying to protect children because if, if a husband doesn't render affection to his wife the way that he should, and if the wife doesn't render affection to her husband, you know, it can very easily begin to drift apart. Next thing you know, there's a divorce. Next thing you know, the kids don't have a dad there anymore. You know, if guys don't understand what the Bible says about marriage, and, you know, you staying committed, you know, you go to the prisons. Go down there to the prisons, if you're wondering, and you visit those guys. Ninety-five percent of them, the reason they're there is because they didn't have a dad. And so when I read stuff like this, I'm like, Lord, this is all about you protecting us. You protecting us as married people. You protecting us as my, my, the little children. They need mom and dad there. These are the building blocks. These are the things that kind of, you know, they keep us together. That's why it's so important to know God's word. And so you're, you're, you're rendering the, the affection that's due Uh, to each other Uh, again this is more than sexual intimacy Uh, it includes that but it definitely goes beyond that and uh, to me when you read this right here the whole thing about marriage it's really important for us to understand it's interesting to know that according to the bible when we get married our bodies are not only our own they also belong to our spouse did you know that I mean, that's something we see right here again in verse 2. Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Uh, let the husband render uh, affection to his wife, that dis- do her. Likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, uh, but the wife does. Well, that's why my nickname for my wife, Shelly, is Mia. I like calling her Mia because she's mine, you know, because we're married, right? That's kind of the way it works. That's something that we saw back in the love letters of the Old Testament, Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 16. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies. You know, that that's how it works when you're married. Same thing in chapter 6, verse 3. A Song of Solomon, I my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I have that on my ring. I put it there, but just as a reminder, and I always wear my ring because if not, I get in trouble with Shelly. <laughs> no, you know, guys, gals, wear your ring because, I, I mean, from what I heard, you know, that's the first thing they look at, is he married. And so you gotta, you got to show that. It shows ownership. It shows I belong to someone else, right? I mean, when you look at this, it's interesting, even the whole concept of authority over one another's body. Now, we can't take that too far. It doesn't mean, you know, that they're slaves or they're sex slaves or anything like that, yeah, you know, because uh, some guys will take it too far. You know, no, it's not like that. When you're intimate in marriage, it's a giving act, it's a loving act. It's not a selfish act, right? But, but this whole thing of having authority over one's body, it means that there's marital ownership and exclusivity, right? I mean, just you, that's how it works. She's mine and he's hers. And it has even a broader application, I believe, if you think about it. I remember when I was in Cambodia and I wanted to get a tattoo, you know, because you can get a good deal over there, right? And so I thought, man, I'll get a tattoo, La Shelley, right here on my neck. I was thinking, man, La Shelley. So I called her, and I asked her, hey, babe, is it OK if I get a tattoo? And she said, no. And, and so I'm thinking in my mind, OK, I'm a man. You know, I could make a decision. But no, she actually, my body belongs to her. There is that aspect of it. Um, I remember when I went to Supercuts and I got, uh, I was tired of spending $15 every two weeks getting my hair cut. So I just said, shave it, shave it, you know, if Shelly doesn't like it, um, she'll forgive me eventually, you know, and uh, I got home and she ended up liking it. She ended up liking it. So when the day came and I wanted to grow it out, she said no. and so i'm like okay you know it's it's her um, where that's the way it works you guys i mean it's funny how last night even one of the guys came in he had a beard and i hey the beard looks good on you he's like oh, i don't like it and i've i've learned right away to i don't know what to say does your wife like it that's all that matters does your wife like it and hopefully she'll be understandable but man if she really likes it you should probably stick to it you know why because I mean, Shelly dresses me, things like that, you know, it works that way. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just joking. But, you know, there is that aspect of having authority and ownership, and that's, you know, your wife and your husband and they're your body. This is all part of what happens when you get married. And that's why it's so wonderful to know the Bible, to know the way that God sees marriage. You're one now. It's a wonderful thing. And so the principle is applicable in different ways, like I've mentioned, whether it be tattoos or shaved heads. But the primary point is that sexual intimacy is to be practiced. As married partners, we mustn't deprive each other without consent, right? And so you can't be a wife that's had a headache for 40 days. It doesn't work that way. You know, if your spouse is holding out, It's a hard place to be, and you might be here. Maybe that's happening to you. And you're like, well, I read the Bible, and it says that you're you're not supposed to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to be tempted. And so you're thinking, I can go out and have an affair. No, no, never, never. You just can't never have that in your mind. But but what we're saying is it's not justification for it, but sometimes as you're talking to people afterwards, at the end of the day, it, that is the explanation. That's probably why it happened, because there wasn't that healthy intimacy in their in their marriage life. And those are those underlying issues that as counselors, you know, we try to encourage you guys just to do what the Bible says. You know, the enemy knows when there's not that healthy relationship and he will be faithful to bring someone into your spouse's path, that, that Bathsheba or that guy with the big buff arms and Camaro and... He pays attention and what ends up happening is people fall. Again, it doesn't ever give anyone the right to have an affair, never. But sometimes these are the reasons, because they're not doing what the Bible says, which says to meet each other's needs. And so uh, it's a blessed and beautiful part of marriage. It's one of the contributors to protect our marriages from affairs which, when I look at it, is to keep families together, which is probably why the writer of the book of Hebrews, he put those things together in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. He said, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. And so it's a good thing. Don't think it's a fleshy thing. It's a holy thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's honorable. But he says, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So you keep that place holy and healthy, and you stay away from the latter. And so we need to be faithful not to deprive one another unless, and here's something interesting, unless you've mutually agreed to a time of fasting and praying. Let's read that again in verse 5, because I have a hunch there's probably not a lot of married couples that do this, that do what the Bible says. Look what it says in verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so um, there, there will be that times where you and your wife, you're, you're talking and maybe you're going through something heavy, heavy, heavy. Heavy, heavy, heavy! Crazy, insane, demon, satanic attack. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried like fasting and praying? Remember Jesus said this kind doesn't come out except through fasting, and and praying. You know this right here is something where then the Holy Spirit would lead you. You're on the same page. You're maybe going through these trials. God lays it on both of your hearts. No one's manipulating. No one's intimidating. You both heard from the Holy Spirit clearly. And he says, what I want you to do is take some time and say no to the flesh, not just delicacies, but intimacies, that you may spiritually seek the Lord together. And God's chosen fast will give you this power, this amazing victory that maybe you haven't experienced up to this point. You know, and fasting is is important for us to exercise as a church. It's a spiritual discipline that I think is neglected. Uh, Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. Because what happens, you guys, when you're fasting, it, 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 again, typically in reference to food, and that's probably the safest and most scriptural type of fast, but anytime I deny the desires of my flesh and my wants, any time I say no to me, and it's good for me. You know, I have a feeling that here in the United States of America, that doesn't happen too much. You want a, a venti Java chip Frappuccino? You get it. I'm talking to myself, right? I mean, you want the, the double double? That's what I'm having for dinner tonight. You want the phone? You got it. I mean, whatever it is, it, it seems like whatever we want, we get it. Do we ever say no to ourselves? Because, you know, God, I think he honors that at times. We have to be so careful. We have to know our flesh and say no. And when we're doing that, when the Lord is leading us, it has to be God leading. It can't be man leading. But when the Holy Spirit is leading you to fast, then what ends up happening is you're seeking God. You know, maybe he'll do a miracle. Maybe there'll be some crazy sign and wonder. And that is possible, right? But what ends up happening is you're seeking God, and let's say you skip a meal, and then you're skipping two meals. Maybe a whole day goes by, you haven't eaten anything. And what ends up happening is your, your physical senses begin to diminish, and your spiritual senses, senses they increase. Next thing you know, you're, you're hearing like the voice of God more. Why? Because you're denying your flesh. And you guys, what we see right here, it can happen in in different ways, even in the area of intimacy and marriage. But it has to be something that God leads you in, right? I mean, it's a lot of things. We can fast food altogether, fine foods. Like, for example, Daniel, he went on a, a time where he just ate vegetables and drank water. Maybe it'll be that. No more... You know chorizo con papas for a couple of weeks or something. You can fast your phone. I know it'd be difficult, but take your phone, and push that button for I think three seconds, turn it off, and then after a while the shakes subside. And <laughs> you know, you people have fasted social media because for the most part, although social media can be a good tool, I mean, most of them be honest, it's just a toy um what we find is that you know god can lead you to fast uh, maybe television just not watch television for a day watch how it changes your life for some people some people man that's their their friend i mean and here he mentions intimacy you know joel chapter 2 verse 15 and 16 it says blow the trumpet in zion consecrate a fast call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. I mean, this is what Joel is saying as well, when you want to see the Lord move. And so... I just pray that we would be open, you know, to the Holy Spirit as he leads us, as we're learning the scriptures, what they say. But make sure that you don't do it for too long. How long do you do it? Not for too long. Um, I like what uh, John Randall said in the marriage retreat. How long can you go without food? You know, it's probably not going to be too long. Because if you go too long, then Satan comes in and he tempts you. And it's interesting, you know, because just the whole concept of being tempted Some of you guys are here, you're like, yeah, I have not had an affair. I'm good. I'm strong. And you never really, really, really been tempted. You never had that girl right in front of your face, right there with the opportunity. God has protected you. But what if that protection went down? What if you were put in a situation in your face to be tempted? That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, lead us not into temptation, Lord, because if I ever find myself there... I might not make it. So fasting even prevents temptation. And that then leads to victory. All we're saying is that when you go through this whole thing, you do it the way the Bible says, you're going to experience victory. And I just keep thinking about families, children, people, society staying together when we do things, you know, God's way. I like what he says right there. And give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again I think there are some husbands and wives that need to come together again drifted apart roommates not soulmates and maybe that's the crisis that you need to come together again you know when we look at this right here I just pray that we would have that heart Knowing what the Bible says as we begin the journey through chapter 7, a lot about marriage, a lot about singleness. You know, for some of you here, um, maybe you're like, hey, I think I might have the gift of singleness. So you're in a good club. Did you know that um, Leonardo da Vinci, Queen Elizabeth I, Sir Isaac Newton, President James Buchanan, Florence Nightingale, Susan B. Anthony uh orville and uh, wilbur wright those are the guys that invented the plane uh, the wright brothers not david and daniel these are different guys um joan of arc they're all single they're all single probably like jesus said they were made that way they had that gift and look at what they did crazy what happens when you do things god's way And so different things, married, single. I remember in closing, I remember this one brother, Tony, and Shelly and I were young. We had just become Christians, and he gave us advice about three years into our Christianity. He said, "Ah, let me share something with you that, that when you wear the armor described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, there's no armor for the back. And so when you're married, what you need to do is go back to back. And that way you have full coverage. He said, and if you're single, just never turn back. (laughs) Steam ahead because God will do amazing things when you serve him without distraction. Lord, I pray that the single people would be given strength to wait on you and to serve you with a reckless abandon. And I pray, Lord, that the married people would serve you together. Lord, I pray that we would do things your way according to your word. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless your church, bless your name, do a new work in us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And just with every eye closed and every head bowed, and you guys, if you could just pray for anyone here, if you're here and you don't know where you stand in the kingdom of God, If you're here and you don't have that assurance of salvation and you don't know if you were to die today whether or not you'd go to heaven, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to know that Jesus died for you on a cross. That all your sins you ever did, past, present, future, were laid on him and he suffered the penalty that you deserve. He died in your place. And then they put him in a grave and he rose again the third day. He defeated death. For you. And the Bible says that all you have to do is repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here and you don't know where you stand with the Lord, all you have to do is believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You call on his name. You say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. Yes, Jesus, I have drifted away. And today I return to you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I give you my heart. I give you my life again. When you do that, then it's so cool, man. Heaven opens and God splits the sky. And the God of the universe will come down and live inside. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus.